This is episode 151 of the Relate Podcast on developing communication skills through discomfort with Adrian Principe. We are spending more and more time in the online world, looking through our screens and increasingly disconnected with those around us. But studies have proven that it's real-life meaningful relationships that bring us the most joy and happiness. It's all about human connection and conversing with people from a variety of backgrounds. Worlds change when eyes meet. So let's sit down and relate. Hello, everyone. I am your host, Patrick McAndrew, and welcome to another episode of the Relate Podcast. So happy to have you here to learn about technology and how it is impacting our relationships. How is it impacting the ways in which we are connecting and relating to one another? And today we have an amazing guest joining us on the show to discuss these things. Her name is Adrian Principe, and she is the founder and executive director of Turning Life On, a nonprofit grassroots movement committed to digital wellness. She is coming to us with a wide wealth of experience through her years working in this space. And in this episode, we talk about her work with mental health professionals, with pediatricians, and others working in the medical space. We also talk about how kids are not developing social skills, how there is a lack of enriching activities. We discuss how processing information with regards to reading and writing is very different than if you are typing on the computer than if you are writing down notes, which I think is a very fascinating aspect of our conversation. And something that we hit on throughout the episode is talking about discomfort, the importance of sitting in discomfort and what that does for our development as human beings. If you like this episode, head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, let us know your thoughts. I'd really appreciate it. Also, if you have the Anchor app, feel free to call in and leave a voicemail. Let us know what you think of this episode. So without further ado, let me please introduce today's guest of Relate, Adrian Principe. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Relate Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest joining us. Her name is Adrienne Principe. Adrienne, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to talk with you. Yes, you're doing some amazing work in the digital wellness space. We had the opportunity to connect a little bit ago, and I had the opportunity to learn about a lot of what you're doing with Turning Life On and and really, uh, it's it's just super important work uh, that I think as we are working through this time with the pandemic and everything, I think it's becoming even more relevant today, all of this work that you're doing. So I'm very excited to have you on the show and to kind of dive into the details of everything that you're up to. Yeah, so I think it is super relevant today on many different levels. So this should be a really good conversation. Yes. So I'm wondering if you could just start off by sharing with our listeners uh, who might not be familiar with you and your work, what brought you into the world of digital wellness and, and why is this something that you care about? 
So I have four kids. My oldest is 14 and my youngest is eight. So thinking about them as they were entering um, into adolescence and reading some of the research around the link between smartphone use and mental health, I started to become a little bit concerned. It felt like, so this was back in 2017, and at that time, digital wellness really wasn't even a term. Um, There was a lot of research being done, but it didn't really feel like it was getting down to parents. And I certainly felt like I wasn't really sure how to handle the digital world with my own kids. So I decided to connect with some other um, moms here in Concord, and we started an organization called Concord Promise, which was just basically a local promise to get parents to delay smartphones until at least eighth grade. From my work with Conquer Promise, so we launched that in 2017, through my work with Conquer Promise, I spoke with a lot of professionals in many different fields. So in the mental health profession and clinicians, um, pediatricians, digital wellness experts, people that were really kind of looking at this issue. And I started to understand that this is a much bigger issue than just smartphones in middle school. So from Conquer Promise, I expanded the mission and we had already started supporting communities outside of Concord. So it was kind of a natural transition for us to expand the model that we were using in Concord of supporting community members to other communities outside of Concord. So we kind of transitioned from Concord Promise to Turning Life On. And we wanted it to be really positive, right? And that's why we came up with that name, Turning Life On. So from the beginning, we wanted to focus more on what really makes our lives as wonderful as they are. How can we enhance the human experience? And how does technology fit into that? So we really kind of look at, okay, what are the activities that we do, um, again, that enhance our life versus how do we restrict technology? So really kind of looking at it in a positive way. So, So I launched Turning Life On. And basically what I do with Turning Life On is a lot of parent webinars for education. I'm still partnering with a lot of different professionals. I consult with schools and parents. Um, I work with youth and just doing a lot of talking about digital wellness, but also what are really the practical things that we can do in our everyday lives, whether it's at school, whether it's the way that teenagers are interacting with each other, whether it's the way that parents are interacting with their kids, just what are those positive things that we can do to just have more meaningful lives? Because at the end of the day, that's what we want, right? Yes, oh, absolutely. And this is why I love having people like yourself on this show, because everyone has, I feel, a personal connection to this mission, to to digital wellness, to why this is so important and an important topic for us to be discussing with a wide variety of different people. And I love how you talked about that you or early on you were talking with pediatricians and, and people in the mental health world as well as other professionals to really kind of gauge their perspective on, you know, what was happening. I'm curious, you know, from, from you saying that, what were some of the things that they were bringing to light? So everybody is concerned about this topic. You know, when I talk to parents, they say, I've had parents say this is a crisis Um, in just the amount of time that kids are spending online. And 
the their kind of inability to manage the time that they're spending online. Pediatricians are concerned. I the biggest concern of pediatricians is that when they have kids or teenagers come into their practice for a well visit or even a sick visit and they have just that 10 to 15 minutes with them and you would think that anybody who's meeting with their doctor for that short amount of time wants to optimize the time get the most out of the appointment and what pediatricians were finding is that they would come into the room the parent and the child regardless of age would generally be looking at some kind of a device whether it was a smartphone or a tablet and it would be really hard to get the child or teenager to look the doctor in the eye and to be able to verbalize whatever issues that they were having if they were there for a sick visit or if they were there for a well visit to talk about what was going on gone what was going on in their lives so that the pediatrician could really offer the level of care that the pediatrician wants to offer What's happening is our youth are spending so much time communicating through their devices that when it comes time to communicate, not necessarily, I wouldn't consider a pediatrician a stranger, but it's not someone they talk to on a regular basis. They just are not developing those skills. And that can be pretty detrimental to somebody's health. So that was one concern of the pediatricians. And I think, uh, you know, especially during the pandemic, as I'm talking to mental health professionals, they are strapped. I know most are not taking new patients. In fact, I don't know any of the mental health professionals that I talk with that are taking new patients. I spoke with one clinical psychologist who said that he has hospitalized more kids in the last 12 months than he has in his entire, I think he said, 12-year career. Wow. Um, yeah, and we're certainly seeing the CDC just reported that hospitalizations for mental health issues among youth, you know, the under 18 segment are up 44% between March and October of last year, 2020, 2020 versus the same period the um, previous year. So up 44%, that is a substantial amount. And, you know, we can't say that it's all because of technology. I definitely don't believe that, but we have many different things. Obviously, the pandemic is a huge issue, but there has certainly been, you know, an uptick in mental health issues in relation to when smartphone use became more widespread. And there's a lot of research out there that looks at that connection. There's a lot of studies that show correlation and there's some that's that show causation. But I think what mental health professionals are seeing is that youth are connecting less in person, which is more enriching, which you know that. I'm sure you've had a lot of conversations on this relate, right? I'm sure you've had a lot of conversations <laughs> of, about that topic um, on this podcast. So they're connecting less in person, which is more enriching, and they're connecting more through their phones. Um, and then the other issue is that as it relates to depression is they're spending more time on their phones so they're not doing the enriching activities that they would generally enjoy you know maybe they're playing sports less or maybe just those random activities that I did growing up that brought brought me going for a walk going and getting a coffee or ice cream with my friends taking a hike going to the mall just all those all those little things that we I think we take for granted they're doing less of that because they're spending more time on their phone. And then they're also avoiding um, uncomfortable situations. 
So when I was growing up, you know, I'd wait for my mom outside the field house after practice and it would be super awkward. And, you know, right? Right? Hey, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Maybe you had, I don't know. I don't know if you, did you have a similar experience or would you like distract I'm, yourself with your phone? Well, so I, I, so I'm a millennial and I, yeah. I'm like kind of right at the cusp. So smartphones started to become very common when I was in college. You know, I, I, and I was very late to the game. I didn't get a smartphone until 2018. And so, you know, and a lot of that was by, by choice too. But yeah, it, you know, it's, it's interesting because I think about how prevalent smartphones have become in our world today. And I think about when I was in high school or middle school, having this type of technology, it would be so overwhelming. So I, I can't imagine what it's like for teenagers today. Yeah, exactly. It's super overwhelming. You know, there's a lot of different things. It's that avoiding uncomfortable situations where, you know, you were probably forced to kind of deal with your discomfort if you were in an uncomfortable situation because you didn't have your phone to escape into. Now kids right. are escaping their phones um, instead of dealing with that discomfort. Or maybe you, you know, I used to travel for business. And so I would not want to sit in my room for every meal. So I'd go down to the hotel bar, you sit at the bar, you have your meal, you strike up a conversation with the person sitting next to you. So we kind of dealt with those situations. Um, and now you don't see that anymore. People are on their phones. Yeah, yeah. I think it is interesting to think about like those moments of, of silence, those moments that could be a little awkward to start. And yeah, it's it's interesting because when you start a conversation with someone who, you know, you're maybe sitting near at a restaurant or something like that, like it is awkward at first. But then once you start the conversation going, it's amazing how natural it feels. But you're absolutely right, is that a, a lot of uh, kids aren't having to really do that or, or, or deal with that now. And I, I would love to, to kind of dive into the, this a little bit. I know you work a lot with schools, and I'm sure this year has been very different compared to maybe years in the past with regards to the work that you're doing in schools. But I guess, how do you teach digital wellness within an educational environment? So I mostly work with parents in the schools. I do a lot of parent webinars and I consult with educators within the school to talk with <clears throat> them about how they can support the students. And so it's really tricky. So mostly working with parents. I mostly work with parents who want to get some policy change within their communities. So what they end up doing is going to the superintendent or the principal of the school with the information about digital distraction. And so we can talk about this in many different ways, right? So when smartphones are present in the classroom, there's a lot of research that says that we don't perform as well. So schools that are allowing smartphones we can just share the information with them, the research with them. And so that's mostly what I share with parents is, okay, here is all the research on digital distraction. We also talk a lot about, um, I talk to schools a lot about um, the power of note taking. And it's funny, when we started this conversation, you said, hey, I'm going to, you know, jot down some notes. And I said, I'm going to do the same thing. And it's, it's a really interesting process because 
you know, our brains weren't really evolved to read or to write. And we're a really physical species um, and you, we use our hands a lot, right? So the act of actually writing and forming the letters and paraphrasing. So obviously you can't type as fast as you can write. So when you're writing, you're paraphrasing, which means you're processing the information and then you're writing it down into your own words into a way that you can remember. Whereas if you type, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but you can type pretty much verbatim which yeah. means you're basically just telling your fingers to move and you're not really processing the information. And then the same thing with reading. There's quite a bit of research out there that shows um, when we read a book or something that's printed out versus digitally, we process the information in a different way because of the tactile experience that we get from actually reading a book. So those, those are some of the studies that we like to focus on And so I provide that information to parents and they generally go to the schools to try to influence policy change. Or if I'm working directly with schools, we talk about some of these things and we look at the research and we talk about, you know, it's not about getting rid of technology in classrooms. It's just about when is it appropriate to introduce the technology? What types of technology are most effective at what times? And then are we teaching kids to use both both modalities? So we don't want kids just typing their notes. We want them to learn how to take handwritten notes and to learn how to take notes on a computer in an effective way so that they can make the decision of, hey, listen, I'm in math class. It probably makes more sense to handwrite my notes. But in social studies, I can probably, if I'm processing the information in the right way and I'm not typing verbatim, but I'm summarizing it and typing it, then that's okay. So we actually have to teach kids reading and writing offline is not the same as reading and writing online. It takes a different set of skills. So we need to teach them the different set of skills. So just making sure that parents and schools understand those differences and that they're really focused on just being aware of them. And then in, in terms of students, I work with a lot of students. And in fact, um, my teen leadership council, we met in January and I said, okay, you guys, what do you want to do? What's going to be our focus? And they said they wanted to do a teen forum for teens, by teens, no parents allowed. And they have, they wrote the description, they have it in all caps and they just want to come together and talk, talk about this topic and talk about ways they can support each other. So that's one thing that when, you know, when I talk to schools, especially school counselors, I talk about, listen, if there's any way you can just set up a safe space for kids to come together to talk about this topic, just do that. You know, of course, I give them a lot of other suggestions, but I'm like, if you can do one thing, just create the safe space for kids to talk about this topic. Yeah, I I really like that a lot because in a lot of ways, it gives the students the agency to decide, okay, what's best for them. It's not necessarily the the vision of like an adult wagging their finger at them it really allows them to have the ball in their court and and yes use the the wisdom and and research and advice of of parents and of professionals like yourself but then be able to formulate their own solutions as well exactly that's really important no teenager wants to be told what to do i mean i don't even like to be told what to do i i say that <laughs> Right. My my second oldest, my son, who's 12, he is just does not like to be told what to do ever. And I say to him sometimes, 
I get it. I don't like to be told what to do either, but let's work together to find a solution. And I, I think that that's what our youth really need. Um, and that's what they want. They're growing up with this technology and they need our support as adult allies, but they don't need us really telling them what to do. They need us sharing, like you said, sharing the wisdom, sharing the research, sharing the information, and then kind of turning it over to them and saying, okay, if you think you can have your phone in the classroom, let's see how you do on the unit exam. Oh, guess what? You got a D. Let's see what happens when we don't have the phones in the classroom. Oh, guess what? You got an A. So, you know, sometimes running some of those experiments too can be helpful and letting them gauge for themselves. Does it really distract me? Because um, often they'll say it doesn't, but then when you really run the research, it does end up distracting them. Oh, so yeah. Together. Yeah, well, I think it's become having smartphones around has become such an ingrained part in our lives that we don't realize how much of a distraction it actually is because it's been, become so, so mainstream to always have our phones at our sides at all times. That's right. I did a podcast with Dr. Anthony Rayo. He's a clinical psychologist. He wrote a book called The Power of Agency. And he, at the end of the podcast, he said something about we have these phones and if we drop them, we get nervous. And if we're away from them, we get separation anxiety and we hold them close and we take them everywhere with us. And at the end of the podcast, I said, it sounded like you were talking about a person. Yes. But you were actually talking about our phones. You know, can't, maybe the one key, I mean, there were a lot of great takeaways from that podcast, but it was almost like, can we treat each other with the same amount of care and attention? that we treat our phones. I think that that one thing that's really important for us to remember is that, especially during this pandemic, if there's anything that our children need, if there's anything that our friends need or our family, the people that we love the most in our lives, it's they need our love and attention. I mean, that's what everybody really needs right now. It's the same attention that we give our phones, if we could give that to each other, I think that that would maybe help with this mental health crisis. Obviously, it's not going to solve every problem, but it would certainly help a little bit anyway. Yeah, yes, absolutely. I definitely agree with you there. And that actually kind of answered my next question, which would be if you were to have like a long term view of the, the, your your goals and dreams for turning life on the ideal scenario, what would that look like to you? So that's tough. I mean, I think that I, you know, I talk to a lot of people and we kind of about this topic, about digital wellness, and um, we can get into the weeds. You know, how do we even define wellness? What does wellness mean as a general topic? And it definitely means something different to everybody. And we're fighting against these tech companies who have a lot more money than we do their goal is to keep us using these products as much as we can because that's the way in which they're making money. So I don't know that, I don't know what's going to happen. I think my goal, so I, I I don't feel like I can make these like big lofty goals. Right, because um, you kind of have to course correct as you go along based on how the industry is going, both the tech industry and digital wellness at the same time. Yeah, that's right. And I feel like even when we started this, and of course, it's become more mainstream than it was back in 2017, there's even more information and more people in digital wellness. I mean, I can't tell you the amount of organizations that have popped up. I, when we oh, yeah. started 
we were like one of the only ones and we got so much support from all these different people and now it's kind of like a dime a dozen, right? And yet we're still using our phones more. If you look at the statistics, the amount of time that we're spending online, the age in which kids are getting smartphones is going down. So sometimes it just feels like we're running on a treadmill really and we're not going anywhere. So so when I think about goals, you know, I just think about if we can just get people, if we can just move the needle a little bit, if we can get people to start thinking about their health and wellness as it relates to the way in which they're using their phones, I think that that would be, that would be a win because I don't think that people are looking at their digital habits in relation to their health and wellness. So they see their health and wellness here like, I need to eat healthy, I need to exercise, I need to sleep, but they're looking at it separate from the way in which they're using their phones and our phones are impacting every single aspect of our lives. So if we can't keep our tech in check, which is our byline, if we can't keep our tech in check, then we can never achieve wellness, period. So Yes, I think you make such an important point where I think that digital wellness does need to be grouped within the overall terms of of wellness when it comes to our our health when it comes to fitness when it comes to even financial wellness as well i i think that it needs to be grouped within the the greater theme of wellness instead of being like this extra thing uh on the side you know i i think that people do need to start looking at it that way and i i think it's great to start having those types of conversations with all of that said, I would love to hear your perspective on how you believe we can enhance our connection to each other, both within our families, but then also in the educational environment that you work in so often. So I think our connection is super important. You know, I mentioned that statistic earlier about these hospitalizations um, for mental health issues amongst youth we need to connect with each other. We need to build our communication skills. Um, We need to develop that tolerance for discomfort. You know, how do we do that, right, during the pandemic? I think we're kind of stuck right now in this, everyone has pandemic fatigue. I think people are really starting to suffer from loneliness, which is really that desire to be with other people. But I'm not feeling like other people want to be with me. So that's really kind of what that loneliness is. Um, And I think part of that loneliness piece too is that we're all super depleted because we've been dealing with this pandemic. We've been dealing with this really low level anxiety that's just always there, that's really having an impact on us over time. Okay, so what do we do about it? The end is in sight, right? We can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Case counts are going down. More and more people are being vaccinated. Um, It looks like we could be back to some kind of normalcy maybe over the summer. But in the meantime, I think people should take advantage of the things that they can do. So taking socially distanced walks as often as possible, either with our family members, with our friends. And that has a lot of mental a lot of benefits health benefits so you're getting some physical activity the sunlight is good for our eyes it's good for our vitamin d levels you're getting fresh air which is really great for sleep and you're able to connect with the person that you're with if you turn your phone 
onto vibrate mode <laughs> or leave it at home. Don't let your phone distract you. Put yes. your phone away. So I think taking socially distant walks is really important. I think connecting over FaceTime as long as it's not because that can wear people down. That can be exhausting as well. But I think connecting over FaceTime is a really great tool that we can use technology for. And, you know, I think it's going to be tricky. Somebody actually just sent me a really funny meme. And it was my social skills in March 2020. And it was a picture of Forrest Gump. And then it was my social skills in March of 2021. And it was a picture of Tom Hank when he was in... What was the movie? Was it Castaway? Yeah, in Castaway, (laughs) where he's all like his hair is all crazy and he's yelling at the the volleyball, right? I thought that was perfect. Yes. Yes. We forgot how to socialize because we haven't done it. Um, I was talking to a colleague the other day who works in the hospital and she said that they were having some of the board members of Pfizer over to the hospital for kind of the small meet and greet. And she said after just, I think it was two hours, she, she said she was exhausted. We're not used to it. And that's okay. I think if we face those those issues or they, those anxieties, those worries straight on like, hey, there you are, worry. Okay, I expected you to be here. And uh. then say, you know, like, I'm going to do the opposite of what you want me to do. Okay, you want me to just go back inside and hide in my room under the covers watching Netflix or to hide on my phone, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go out and I'm going to accept the fact that, listen, it's going to be ang- it's going to be awkward and it's probably going to be uncomfortable to have a conversation with somebody, but the benefit is worth the discomfort. So I'm going to do it and it's going to be okay. And I think that's, you know, that's what we're going to have to do. It's going to be hard for us to re-socialize. I think it's going to be hard for teenagers to re-socialize. So just, you know, kind of going through those those steps, expecting that it's going to be hard, facing it head on, um, and then realizing the benefit, even though it's going to be hard. And then just being gentle and compassionate with each other. People are going to say stupid things. You know, <laughs> you're right. Very awful, true. Very true. Right. We just kind of have to support each other, um, but we have to get back out there. And I think that's one of my biggest concerns, you know, particularly with youth, but with any segment is having that strength and courage to get back out there. Um, and I think schools need to be thinking about that. How can we set up opportunities for students to just have conversations with each other and to feel safe about it um, as kids are starting to get back into the school setting. Yeah, that communication aspect, I think, is going to be critical. Uh, It's funny because before the pandemic, I would always describe myself as an ambivert where, you know, it's kind of that mix of an introvert and extrovert where I was like, oh, yeah, I love being around people, but definitely need like my time to myself. But now after after this pandemic, I feel like, oh, I'm definitely an extrovert because I really miss, uh, you know, connecting with people, with being in large groups of people as well. And I so I think that that element is definitely going to be that, as you said, like a learning curve when once we're able to kind of go back into the world in a normal way. But it'll be so crucial to sit in that discomfort and, and move forward from it. And so I, I would love to hear. If you uh, if, and it's okay if you don't have an answer for this, but if you had to share what 
in your opinion, would be the most important, I guess, digital wellness tip out of all these def- different uh, digital wellness practices that that one could participate in? If there's someone who's just entering into the digital wellness space who is completely foreign to the concept and you could give them just one thing that they could start working on before adding in all these other elements, what would you say that would be? I would, the one most important thing that you can do is keep your phone out of your bedroom. So I think that that is the, it's not the easiest for sure, because again, people have separation anxiety from their phones, Um, but it's one kind of simple step to remember, right? It's not super complicated. You just plug your phone in downstairs in the kitchen and you go to bed at night. And I'll tell you why I think that's really important. So the first thing is we need sleep for many different reasons. We need it for our physical health and for our mental health. We need it to be able to be productive, to learn. So sleep is really, really important. And we know that when people are on their devices before they go to bed, that it disrupts their sleep cycle. So they end up getting going to bed later and then also not getting um, the, the quality sleep that they need. We also know that phones tend to wake people up in the middle of the night, either with real Uh, real alerts or what we call phantom alerts, where people think that they're getting a text in the middle of the night and they'll kind of wake up. Also, if you have your phone next to your bed and you wake up in the middle of the night, it's really hard not to grab your phone, right? So in the minute you grab that phone, you're just telling your body that it's the morning and it's time to wake up, even if it's 2 or 3 a.m. So your, your phone's really impacting your sleep if you have it in your room. Um, the other thing that I don't think people often think about is when we first wake up in the morning, you know, what do most of us do? We grab our phone, right? We're checking our email. We're seeing what we have for the day, checking the news reports, like something has magically happened over the overnight. (laughs) But that time in the morning, even if it's just like five or 10 minutes, to be alone with ourselves is really important. So whether we're just taking a moment to just lay there and not think about anything. Maybe that's what our body needs. Or if we're thinking through, you know, oftentimes that's when I kind of come up with my best ideas. It's first thing in the morning I wake up, I'm kind of thinking about what I have to do for the day, thinking about what I read about the day before or what I learned or any conversations that I had and kind of working those through in my mind And so protecting that time in the morning, I think is really important. We're not spending a lot of time with our own thoughts. And so we're unable to, we're losing the ability to form our own opinions. And we're learning, we're losing the ability to process the information that we're gathering throughout the day. And that's really, really important. So what's happening in our brains um, overnight while we're sleeping and while we're processing information in that kind of thinking state is that we're building schemas and our schemas build on each other. So as a kid, we learn that, you know, an orange is a fruit and then we learn an apple is a fruit and then we learn they kind of go together and then we build on that. Okay, an orange, a lime and a lemon, those are fruits too, but those are citrus, right? So now we're kind of like building the schema. That's a really simple way to think about it. But if we build those schemas in our heads, that's when we're starting to develop critical thinking. And we really, really need critical thinking to be able to figure out what's fake news and what's real news. 
and what's an opinion and what's a fact in a news article. It's not always facts. It's often opinions. It's often the spin. If it bleeds, it leads. Think about all these journalistic terms, right? And so if we don't spend that time actually thinking about our thoughts and thinking about, you know, what do we think about this and building upon that uh, critical thinking process, that metacognition, if we don't take the time to do that, then we're losing out on a, on a lot in, in many different ways. Yes. Keep your phones out of your room. (laughs) Yes. I I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more because at the end of the day, it all just comes down to our habits. And, and as I mentioned earlier through, you know, what you were saying is that I think our phones work on us in ways that we start to become unconscious of. And so if we establish new habits for ourselves, like leaving our, our phone outside of the bedroom, uh, it w- will really allow over time for us to develop more healthy habits when it comes to digital wellness. So, uh, Adrian, I cannot thank you enough for joining us on the show today, for not only taking the time to be on the show, but also for the work that you're doing with Turning Life On. I think that it's so important and, and also that you're bringing your unique self and experience to this work as well. I think that it's very much needed and people are learning so much from from you and, and the practices that you share with them. So thank you so much for all that you do. Well, thanks for having me and thanks for putting this podcast out there to share all this. I, I looked at a bunch of your other episodes, just all the information that you're sharing with people is is really great too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Where can our listeners find out more information about you and all the work that you're doing? Yeah, so definitely check out our website. It's turninglifeon.org. Well, I will make sure to include the link for that in our show notes. So listeners who are tuning in, just scroll down in the show notes. You could click that link provided. There is a wide variety of different resources on Adrian's website. So I highly recommend checking it out. Adrian, one last question for you before we part ways. Sure, let's hear it. How can we as a society better relate to one another? I think that we have to be compassionate. I think that's probably the most important thing in terms of relating to one another, that everybody comes to, everybody shows up to the show with a different experience and perspective, and that if we can show compassion to each other, Um, then we are more open to listening to each other. And if we can listen to each other, we can learn from each other. Um, And if we learn from each other, it's a valuable kind of give and take relationship. And um, that just strengthens our relationship with each other. And we can show compassion to anybody, anywhere, at any time. And, you know, we talked about that experience of being in a bar or a restaurant and striking up a conversation with the person next to you, or even being in the line at the grocery store, and looking around or starting a conversation with somebody, I think we can always learn something from somebody else if we're showing compassion. And I think compassion, if we show compassion, even if somebody is completely off the rails, <laughs> it helps us to respond in a better way to them. Yes. Um, and it keep keeps us more level-headed so that when we come across the next person, we're less likely to judge and we're more likely to show additional compassion with that person. Yes, very well said. Great way to end this episode. So Adrian, thank you so much again. Yeah, it was great talking to you. Thank you, Patrick. 
Thank you for joining us for this episode of Relate. You can let me know your thoughts on this episode by going to Apple Podcasts and leaving me a review. Or if you have the Anchor app, feel free to call in and leave a voicemail. I would love to hear from you. You can support this podcast by clicking the link in the show notes. Thank you so much again for tuning in, and I'll catch you all in the next episode.